Good day, ladies and gentlemen. This is Greg. This is Matt. And this is the bottom tier of Flesh and Blood Podcast. Bottom. Thank you all. Stop saying that. You say that every single time now. It's becoming, I'm trying to make it a thing, Greg. All right, guys. On Twitter, at bottom tier pod, hashtag bottoms up. Guys, we have a super, super exciting episode for you today. We have, fresh off of his victory from the road to nationals down in Tucson, ladies and gentlemen, uh, and gentlemen is friend of the show, Jamie. Jamie, say hi to the people at home. Hi. How y'all doing? And there he is, folks. We truly sit I think, in front of greatness. I, I do think that Road to, Nash, <laughs> like Road to Nationals winning is a great achievement, but I mean, he won something even greater, which is the Commoner Cup. The Commoner Cup. The Commoner Cup. Yeah, the good old Commoner Cup. The inaugural <laughs> East Valley, Arizona. Commoner Cup. Phoenix area Commoner Cup. There's only one like it. There's only one like it. There literally is only one like it, and it cost all of what, like thirty-five cents, including the paint and stuff. Uh, it was fifty cents. It was fifty cents. We so. all know it's priceless. It's one of one. One exactly. of one. Yes. And Extremely limited edition. It's gonna be great. I'm gonna be like cutting up cold foils now and gluing it on top of it. So it's gonna be great. It's gonna be yeah. a good time. Uh, for those of you who just cringed at hearing me cutting up cold foils, don't worry. It's just quelling slippers is getting cut up, so that's not a big problem. It's nothing nobody cares no, about, nothing, so we're good. Nothing much. But, Jamie, we're excited to have you. We want to be able to talk a little bit. Uh, a lot about this podcast is about, you know, we're the bottom tier. Greg and I don't win a lot, unless we it's don't. commoner. Unless it's commoner, in which case, yep. uh, you still kick my butt. <laughs> <laughs> it but, was close, though. You were in the finals. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. <laughs> but we want people to be able to kind of take that and, like, learn and how to, to go from there. But first, we kind of want to know more about you. Like, what got you into Flesh and Blood? And uh, you won with Viscera. What kind of got you into the hero and stuff like that? Okay, yeah, sure. So I've been... I started out playing Magic the Gathering when back was in high school. Man, old school. Yeah, got gotta love it. Like, it introduced me to trading card games and being competitive and whatnot. It was a great time. And then I kind of slept on Flesh and Blood when it came out until last year, 2021, mm-hmm. Tales of Aria. And I was kind of just not liking where the, the magic scene was going. You know, there wasn't really a pro tour anymore. Granted, there was COVID and whatnot, but just just wasn't the game I remembered. So I looked into Flesh and Blood and picked it up, and it was just love at first play. Like, the the decision-making, the intricacies, it's, it's very much a game of inches, where the difference between victory and loss is one, just like a second decision. Just like the, the smallest little misplay can cost you the entire match, and there's no way to come back from it. Exactly. And, uh, I mean, it's still a card game. There's still variants or whatnot. You could still make mistakes and win or play perfectly and lose. I mean, that's that's the hobby we live in. But, Amen. But a lot of decisions and a lot of intricacies that I really enjoy. That's awesome. And and what got you into Viscerai? Like, why that hero or Rune Blades? You played Chain before this. So. Right. So I picked chain up Chain. Gang. Yeah, Chain Gang. Uh, I opened his legendary chest as my first legendary. Oh, nice. Uh, so that made me build Chain. That was chain. my first legendary, too. Yeah, man. Yeah. It, it's a great. It's, so I just, I played him. I, I hadn't decided on a hero at the time. I was between Prism and Chain. And um, I just enjoyed the crap out of him. He's just such a fun and rewarding play. The uh, the setting up for cards that you're going to pseudo-draw on your turn, but you don't know what you're going to draw playing yeah. to the odds. And um, let's all be real, Rosetta Thorn is a really good card. Yeah, <laughs> <So>. it's <laughs> one of easily the best weapons in the game. Oh, absolutely. It, it is. I would say it is the best weapon in the game, yeah. Right. So, like, when Chain got Living Legend, you know, I didn't really know what to do. I went back to Prism because I did play that off and on when I needed a break from Chain, and it just didn't feel good in this meta. Uh, and I was like, well, I know Runeblade, 
So let's do Viserai. I don't really like the way Briar plays. He seems more varied but high stakes, you know. Uh, with Channel Mount, it's it's you have very powerful games if you see two to three Channel Mounts, and you don't if you don't. <laughs> and I didn't like that so much. So Viserai just seemed like the middle of the road, but uh, good generally. Sure, it has some slips, but it also had belittle minimalism, which Chain ran, which I knew from experience is just very Super potent. powerful. Yeah, it's just that card should probably get banned in CC. <laughs> hey, it was banned in Commoner. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, so it was Ball Lightning and Ball Lightning was banned in CC. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. So, so I just decided quickly like a week before the road to nationals looked up lists saw the arsenal pass list and i was like you know what let's jam it shouldn't play too differently from chain in which it really doesn't so did well awesome that's fantastic um kind of while you were going through this process after chain was living legend you were sort of searching around for something new was it just like stumbled upon viscerai found the list really like loved it just from like first blush or did you play around with a few heroes first to kind of get a feel for how things would play against each other and sort of where the meta was sitting at good question so uh we have a pretty dedicated group of testers here so i i didn't really play many decks but i watched decks get played by our play testers and uh there were we had you know the dashes the the new fives the drum eyes prism of course dory we had everything being tested under the sun and none of them just felt as explosive and varied as viscerai and i did lose in the finals and blitz with my chain to a viscerai so i was like this deck uh back in the skirmish season and I was like, this deck has something on it. You know, I want to... I wanna... And that something is rune chant. Yes, it does make <laughs> rune chants. Chain, yeah. chain doesn't get to feel those rune chants. But, but Chain has go again more often. Sometimes Viscerai can be clunky. You only have the nine Mavern Skies. To play Viscerai well, you need to learn how to get three activations out of boots. Two to three every yeah. match. So there's a lot of tech involved in it that you maybe no, don't necessarily see like at the at the first blush um, that you maybe don't also then see with other rune blades, right? It, yeah, precisely. Like uh, Briar, you know, he can make the embodiments of lightning and he runs the uh, snapback scalers, yep. the, the boots to get go again. Whereas Viscera, you live or die by the go again. You have the nine Mavron skies and then boots. And that's that's pretty much it in the deck. So you're looking to hit Rosetta every turn, so you just got to find a way to do it. Yeah, that's kind of like the big thing is like with Rosetta, I feel like it kind of added that extra mechanic in Runeblade of like, hey, I got to make sure I always have a non-attack action and an attack action to be able to make sure I hit this two for two, which is completely deadly in a lot of certain scenarios, right? Right. So like, that's super interesting. Like what got you into such like kind of a... what I'm trying to do, like a complicated more hero, like... More, more technical. More technical, I would say. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Thank you. I <laughs> solid job, man. I, I, I was like, Greg can't outdo me in this podcast. So. <laughs> I, I think I think a lot of it has to do with the the magic background. I was always kind of a control player, and I like to be more thinky and proactive. A lot of blue, a lot of yeah, yeah. blue white controls. My baby, you know, or blue black sometimes even. Ooh. But <laughs> no idea what you guys are saying. Blue black is fun. I <laughs> yeah. love that. Con- D spell, D spell, uh, drain, fucking, you know, old school. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I wanted a deck that just wasn't like a like a Fi throw my hand at you, or even Starvo. Oh, look, Monopoly throw my hand at you, kind of thing. I wanted to make 
a lot of decisions each game. Because I, I think that's one of the key ways to become a really good player in this format is force yourself and your opponent to make a lot of decisions. The more decisions you make, granted the more mistakes you're going to make and the more mistakes your opponent's going to make, but when you make mistakes that cost you games, you will remember them and hopefully you won't do it again. And then kind of to piggyback off of that, the more decisions that you're making at a time, the easier it is to sort of pivot away from a mistake or something that you're forced into playing because that's the hand that you got. You can adapt a little bit more easily with more opportunities. Whereas if you're, I feel like if you're playing something like a brute yeah. where you get, you know, maybe one non-attack and an attack per turn, if you don't have what you need, you're kind of in a lot of trouble at that point. Right, or a ranger. Three of a kind, no arrows, my turn's over. Yeah. Oof, you that know, did happen. At, that happened at Road to Nationals mm. for one of our local players. So shout out to Marshall, if you listen to this. Yeah. Bummer. We love you, Marshall. Yeah. Uh, so I think kind of like when you, I kind of lost my train of thought, but when you are, are playing or when you're going through all this like adaptation of, of this hero, um, what... Man, I was like, I had a really good thing in my brain, and I was like, I'm going to just keep talking and see what happens. Why did I choose this over something else? No, no. Kind of. Like, what? Greg, take the question. You're going for it. Okay, fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. This is the worst part of the podcast, but It's totally good, Matt. You'll come back around to it. It's okay. We'll circle back. We're drinking Michelob Ultra. (laughs) (laughs) There is beer being consumed, so please forgive us. Uh, That, you know, accounts for the F-bomb a few minutes ago. Um, Normally, we try not to swear. We try to keep it like PG-13. okay. Good to know. Uh, But, you know. I didn't know that was a rule until just now. Today's a screw-it session, guys. Um, So, you're a Runeblade player. I'm a Runeblade player. Uh, I play a lot against Matt, so he's sort of, I guess, an honorary Runeblade player. Um, <laughs> Runeblades. Runeblades. Um, Briar is ticking up the list. A lot of people have adopted Briar, especially recently, I feel like, with the uprising change in the meta. Um, so what happens when Briar and Rosetta get pumped up to into Living Legend? What do we, we replace that with? Like, how is that going to change the entire scope of the hero? So... Hopefully by then a new Shadow Rune Blade comes out to Amen. replace Chain. Amen. Otherwise, just with the f- super fast Katsus and Fies and even dashes in the format, I don't know if Viserai will be able to hold his own without Rosetta. It is that powerful of a weapon. You know, just at the end of your turn, one for four, pretty much guaranteed it checks for what the deck already wants to do. It'll be in a tough spot if Briar hits the LL before we get something close to it. So you heard it here uh, first, everybody. Uh, Write those letters, send those emails, spam those tweets at uh, Legend Story Studios. Tell them to give us (laughs) a new Shadow Runeblade, please. Please. Somebody. Now, what? here's like a fun question is like, what are you looking forward to in the game? What would you like to see as far as like heroes or or cards in the future? What would be something you'd be stoked to see? Um, I really enjoy the, the... Illusionist classes, both Dromai and Prism, I like the auras and the allies thing. And there's been talk on the winds about a Necromancer class coming up. Uh, Just like people speculating and whatnot, supposedly LSS wants to do it, and I really want to see a Necromancer class. That That would be cool. Super exciting. Having skeleton army would be really neat. Right, it's like just pull stuff, like use stuff in your graveyard as materials for summoning allies. Like that would be... That would be a really interesting gimmick. I would enjoy that. Uh, as far as recreating a Shadow Room Blade, what would how, what would your Chain 2.0 look like? What would be the, your Shadow Room Blade that you do? It's it's actually interesting. I've discussed this with a couple of local players here, and we're not 
we're not it's not no guarantee to be chain right yeah because uh storyline wise chain did something with viscerai to summon urser um and mm. supposedly viscerai escaped so we could see a shadow viscerai or something like that and that's kind of what i'm leaning towards something with like a an activated once per turn action with go again to sacrifice a rune chance to banish the top of your deck Mm, that know? would be interesting. It, w- it would be very, yeah, very interesting. Yeah. And it, since it's not automatic and has a cost associated with it, you can keep uh, Seeds of Agony in the format because it's not just a given, you know? That's but true. Seeds of Agony is way too powerful. <laughs> it is. It's ridiculously good. I never got to play with it in CC. I started after it got banned, but seeing it in Commodore last night, it's spicy. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> uh Good times, good times. Very good times. Um, so, uh, pending any further questions that we come up with, or you know, remember, um, let's go ahead and pivot a little bit. Let's uh, let's go into a segment that we like to call "Lessons Learned." So, Jamie, if you've never uh, listened to the podcast before, first of all, what are you doing? <laughs> Second of all, um, we like to take a few minutes every week to just kind of talk about the things that we've learned, pre- uh, you know, in the previous week. Every game you play is an opportunity to learn something. It teaches you something about the game, about your deck, about somebody else's deck, and how you want to counter that. Um, so, we like to kind of go through that and just kind of reflect on how we've been doing what we've picked up over the uh, the last week or so um, and I'd really be interested to hear uh, yours and Matt's thoughts of course uh, on on what you picked up over the last week playing games and you know living the fab life hmm let's have somebody else go first yeah <laughs> uh, so for me for lessons learned for me uh, so uh, there's that old saying when it's like if it ain't dope broke don't fix it yep. well the, the opposite is true too if it's broken you gotta fix it uh i haven't like won with fi against our competitive community which is nuts in cc like i've been doing pretty well like i've won some year matches but they've never been like on the actual tournament like board where it's like ah, i won i won against one person but they just built a new deck too and it was just kind of like we're at the same level so uh i finally was like all right i'm gonna take take apart my deck see what's wrong with it and like try to put new things that i was like totally against before like i was like i'm gonna throw the art of wars in even though i was like i feel art of war is kind of like a cop out and it's like a 40 dollars <laughs> card i don't really want to spend that money to go buy those cards so like i'm playing with like running that and like uh command and conquer uh instead of like um breaking point because like i can use that for something else and kind of swap that in with some other cards and five. So I'm excited to be able to see if it improves or does something different and I can be able to get the win more often with the, the new deck. But that's kind of like my lesson learned is like always take time to reevaluate what you're doing. If you're not getting the wins, you got to kind of look back and kind of like change just, something just up. Generally don't be yeah. afraid to adjust. Like yeah. your skill evolves. What you like playing evolves. The meta evolves around you. Yeah. Different matchups are going to have different pros and cons. Yeah. So, and it's not like I'm playing flexible. terrible. Like I was playing, like I felt like I was playing like very, very well. And it's just like something just wasn't helping me push past like the one point. Like there's something I just can't get like as soon I can get everyone down to one or two health. And just I need help getting pushed past that. And so, like, that's why I'm reevaluating is, like, I can never get there even though I'm playing, like, a really good game on on my end of what I feel I could do. Right, and that's the great thing about this game, too, is a lot of the times it comes down to that one-to-one wire, Mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah, that's my lesson learned is get good. (laughs) That's a good one. That's a great place to be. Yeah, it is. (laughs) So, my lesson learned is actually kind of piggybacking off of that. It's about the complacency with decks and matches matchups right 
So I played the our, our local prism extraordinaire, Emmanuel, in the road to nationals, and I beat him in the Swiss and beat him in the top eight, right, as Viserai. And I was like, okay, I got this matchup, you know. Uh, the, we got low life totals, but I didn't ever feel like it was unwinnable or out of my hands. And then we ended up playing in a tournament on Sunday and a tournament on Monday, and both times he beat me by a healthy margin Ooh. because he made some adjustments, looked at the matchup. And I went into the matchups just like, oh, I already beat you twice yesterday. I've got this, no big deal. Exactly. And he, you know, rubbed my nose in the dirt, so to speak, and he was <laughs> like, no, 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 you got you to gotta keep on top of your game. And it's just important to kind of remember the – Decks can change. A few cards can completely change a deck and to not just write something off as an auto loss or an auto win. You know, even when I was playing Blitz and I played Chain, people said the old matchup was unwinnable. And I think I lost that matchup once and I beat three of them in Vegas in the team Blitz. So you can you can figure out a way. You just got to tweak. That's awesome. Um, for me, the biggest lesson that I've learned in the last uh, in the last week or so has really been to just keep a close eye on everything happening on the board. Um, it's really easy sometimes I feel like to get you know into the moment to moment and sort of lose the fifty thousand foot perspective. Um, as an example, uh, Jamie in our match last night in the Commoner Cup. Um, I ended up losing that, and I lost it to Blood Dead. I was playing Chain. Um, he was playing uh, Dory, and I got to the point where I had to block a bunch of stuff with everything in my hand, and then I was super relying on the Banish to give me something else to play. I ended up not being able to play anything. I got like two or three things into the Banish zone, and I died. And if I had been a little bit more aware of what was going on, if I had thought a step or two ahead... I could potentially have prevented that. So right. it's it's not, you know, it's not like a chess level thing where you have to be 15, 20 moves down in the game and figure out what you're going to do at that point. Um, but being aware of, I feel like, how everything synergizes and how the, it all works together mechanically, sort of sort of like if, when you're looking at a clock and you see all the gears working with one another, um, keeping your eye on, like, the whole instead of just the individual pieces is super, super important. Yeah, and yeah. just to go off of that, like, I feel like, when you first start fab or playing flesh and blood, you uh, you're starting off in like the first tier and the first tier is always like, find out what I'm doing on my, t like just find out what you're doing. And now I feel like I'm hitting a point where it's like, I'm thinking more on their turn of like, what am I sacrificing so I can have a great turn or like, what can I like throw away or what, like I'm able to now like kind of utilize them to give me an awesome turn. And I feel like that's like tier two, you know, cause first one's like figuring it out. Now it's more like, I'm playing the game where I'm like using you to perpetuate me more forward. Right. And, and I've seen an evolution in this game in the short time I've been here with when it comes to blocking. Um, just a lot of people don't like to do it. They want to just throw their four card hands at their opponents. And it's, it's a very important skill to master and what will determine outcomes a lot of the time. You need to figure out what can this hand do with four, three, or two cards. Mm -hmm. And if you're preventing more damage than you're sacrificing then you need to block you know it's not the most glamorous thing your turn's gonna be like whatever i'm gonna swing with this four power attack that makes two rune chance and maybe arsenal a card but i stopped six of your damage you know and then the next turn you have those two rune chance ready you have your card in the arsenal and you're better equipped at that point to start striking back exactly yeah. um the, the really fascinating thing about this game for me because i, I had to match at the ba the background too when i played Yu Gi Oh and pokemon like all the big names and everything as well as a bunch of little stuff nobody's ever heard of before 
I was wild back in the day. Duel um, Masters. Dude, I legitimately, I played Duel Masters for a long time. Uh, not to, you know, give myself away Bay or anything. Dude, I had like nine Beyblades. You did not. No really. way. 100% did. I was, Dude, that's you're fire. Living, you're living the life that I wanted. Yeah. Dude, yeah. Uh, 12-year-old Greg was a baller. Um, <laughs> so, uh, with, you know, with, with a bunch of experience like this, the, the, one of the coolest things about Flesh and Blood is that blocking is actually a tech. It's not just something that you can do automatically and, you know, sort of think it through for a second and decide whether you want to do it or not. There's actually like a depth of technique in there that you don't necessarily get with a lot of other things things yeah a lot of other card games um and just the the amount of cards you see in a game right like i came from magic where you start with seven cards and draw one every turn flesh and blood you get a new four every turn Mm -hmm. and it's really squeezing the maximum amount of value either through blocking attacking pitching out of and, each and, card. and getting that recycle back. Yeah. And then the recycle is an interesting uh, mechanic as well, because as far as I'm aware, that's not a big thing like almost anything else. Right, putting cards back in your deck. And yeah. it's like sometimes you do need to pitch the reds to set up your deck for a much later game. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like I noticed that a lot with like if my games with Fi went long because he's so red heavy and dependent on pl- going so much. It's like blue pitch takes care of everything. And then you get to the end of your deck, and you're like, "Man, I just got a lot of blues. Like yep. that's all I got, and there's now not I'm much I can do. Like four damage on a turn. Yeah, I it's lose. not doing. It's not doing good. So you do have to be coherent of like what's what's going on, and make sure you shuffle it up and, and mix it up. All right, guys, we're just about out of time for today. It's a little bit of a truncated episode, everybody. Life is very busy, as I'm sure that we're all aware at this point. Uh, we got to let Jamie get out of here. And so he can go win more games. Through. So he can go win more games, Woo-hoo. dominate some other tournaments. Um, so, uh, Jamie, any final thoughts you want to share with the people? Uh yeah, if you guys are looking to improve at Flesh and Blood, just join the community. Get together with your fellow players. Um and practice games, theory craft, and whatnot. A group of players will almost always be better than a single player. Wise words. Great words. Thank you for listening, everybody. This has been Bottom Tier. Again, as always, like or subscribe. Oh, we're on YouTube. If you like and subscribe on YouTube, follow us, uh, uh, subscribe on all the podcasts, and leave us a nice review. Helps us out, but we're stoked to be here. And thanks for coming, Jamie. Thanks for inviting me, guys. Of I course. loved it. Everyone have a great day. Cheers. Bottoms up. Woo!